Hello and welcome to the first edition of the Sofa Football Podcast. This episode will be a La Liga special with Sky Sports Spanish football correspondent Graham Hunter. From our sofa to your sofa. I'm Adam Bond and this is Sam Brownsword. Hello. And on today's podcast, we will be discussing Real Madrid's interest in Luis Suarez, Neymar's assault on the Camp Nou, Abidel's departure from it. We shall also be looking at the latest transfer news, including Igo Aspas's move to Liverpool and the latest on David Villa. So let's get straight into it then. We started by talking about Luis Suarez's possible transfer to Real Madrid. The Suarez incident came out today. Um, we were just wondering, what, what's Real Madrid's stance on the whole Suarez incident now that it's changed today? That he's told Liverpool that he wants to leave, but Liverpool are still adamant that he's not going to be sold. Is this going to deter Real Madrid to look at other other targets, or are they still going to go for Suarez? OK, well, it's, it's, I think you guys both know on um, sober football, it's just a game, it's an end game, nothing else. Um, Real Madrid have been in touch with Suarez... Suarez knows that they want him. Um, it's more synchronised, it's more intricate than a game of musical chairs. But there's a degree of that too. Everybody knows that Roman had had an atrocious season. The coach is leaving in ignominy. They, in terms of trophies, they haven't fulfilled anything like their potential. But more importantly, the fact that Roman has been scarred by internal feuding, um, Mourinho's leaving 12 months after having won a very comprehensive championship and then signed a new deal until 2016. So this is a, a big, this is rumoured having tied the laces together and fallen flat on their faces. The reason I mention that or emphasise that is that means that the rebuilding needs to capture the fans' imagination immediately. It's a club where people vote for the president. There are, there's an election coming up in the summer and as we stand it looks very like it'll only be Florentino Perez which gives him a very clear mandate it gives him great freedom but nonetheless he has been on a charm offensive he his trophy record as president is atrocious I think since he sacked Vincente Del Bosque in 2003 in the seven years he's been in charge I think we're talking about four trophies two of which are Super Cups um had any manager presented a curriculum like that, then he'd have been sacked long since. So Florentino Perez will spend money. It's clear the team does need to be restructured anyway. Gonzalo Higuain, I'm certain, will leave. Mm. So coming back to Luis Suarez, Madrid do want him. He's not their only target. Madrid are fighting with um, Manchester City to see who's got the bigger checkbook to attract Edson Cavani. But what Luis Suarez did in the Uruguay national team training camp for me you know was pathetic in, in the first place but it was the beginning of him fluttering his eyebrows and blowing kisses at Real Madrid saying yeah 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 mm-hmm. that's me done my job I've agitated I've said I want to leave now you come in and convince Liverpool with the, with your your money I don't think now this, this goes on to interpretation I've tried to stick to facts up to now <laughs> interpretively no matter what Liverpool said up front, they had to make that initial pasadoble and say, 
we're keeping him, he's not for sale. But I don't think it's feasible um, to continue with him, given what he said. Um, stranger things have happened, but I don't imagine that will this time. Mm-hmm. I imagine that we're in an end game where it's now only about price. Right. If they um, go in for Suarez, is that like, will that have a huge impact on their targets for this season? In terms of if they're looking at people like Bale or um, anyone else, uh, obviously, like you said, Cavani, would they uh, would they be able to go into players like that after uh, making an offer for Suarez? If you mean, if you mean financially, then first of all, and the clear first point is how much they spend on Suarez, whether they can put a player like Callejon into the deal. Mm. So, you know, your your basic concept needs to be analysed and worked out because there is no expenditure yet um, let's say they had no player in the deal let's say they buy Suarez for 40 million euros the answer remains yes Florentino Perez has been long been willing to go into heavy debt because he feels it's um, speculate to accumulate mm-hmm. between them and Barcelona Rumored have been have shown the least inclination to reduce the debt. Barcelona have been, um, for good or bad, have been um, on an austerity program um, and have considerably cut their debt over the last couple of years by in the region of 150 million euros. So Real Madrid um, have a propensity for spending money. Um, they currently have the most expensively assembled squad in their entire history. There will be sales that's worth emphasising. So it may be that their net expenditure on four or five players by the end of the summer um, will be lower than, than the gross figure um, mm. because you could imagine that, well, you, we, uh, we know for sure that Carvalho has gone, there's wages gone. SEM will return to Chelsea, there's some wages gone. Um, I'm certain they'll sell Higuain. It's possible they'll sell Pepe. Um, I would imagine certainly Diego Lopez is... Agents are looking to try and find out um, where he might be able to go because his season has been exceptional. Mm. Yet, there's every chance the new coach will reinstate Iker Casillas. So, potentially, there's another transfer fee coming along. Um, Manchester City want to buy Pepe. There will be money generated. So, therefore, the short answer to your question is that, yes, if they buy Luis Suarez for his market value, there will still be very significant sums of money for another four or five key players. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, moving on to Neymar now at Barcelona. Um, I know that as many football fanatics watch Vista de la Liga here in England, um, you're quite sceptical on the show about what success can bring. But what, what would you say is where the key, how can he be successful at Barcelona? Who is the key to his success there? Well, you, you have to start with him. Patently, um, but it's not him alone. I think that what we know from his coach at Santos, from Dani Alves particularly, um, but from many of those who know him as an individual, that this is a guy who, irrespective of the showy way he plays, the slightly strange haircut, this is a serious professional. He's young, he's not fully mature yet, but people say that this is a guy dedicated to working hard, to improving, to training, that he's a good teammate. You can see, even with one eye, that he is a guy who provides goal assists and that's a generosity of footballing spirit that's very important if you're a creative footballer. Mm-hmm. 
to continuing to be, to be like that and not being like, for example, Alex Clegg was when he came to the camp now and felt he had arrived. This is it. I've made it. I've seen that in other players over the over the whatever twenty twenty five years that I've been visiting the camp now um, on a working basis. Um, maturity, adaptation, um, learning the Barcelona system, and meshing with Leo Messi. These are things that within Neymar's own power. Mm. But when you introduce a force of nature like he seems to be to a dressing room where you've already got a player who's at least in, you could arguably say is in line to be in the top one, two or three players in the world ever, then it's a, you know, it's a delicate ecosystem. It's, mm-hmm. There are jealousies within a dressing room. Um, it's patently clear that the president is trying to create his own Leo Messi. The president has long links to South America, to Brazil in particular, to Nike. There will be a tremendous push to market Neymar in terms of managing to push the brand for Nike, push the brand for Football Club Barcelona, but to earn some of the expenditure back. Mm. When that happens, there is a distinct possibility that Leo Messi's nose or the noses of those people who helped market Leo Messi in his own organisation could be put out of joint. Football fans listening to your podcast will say, you know, I don't care. I don't care about Nike or mm. marketing. And fine, they're right not to, but it does matter. Yeah. Um, I, I think that whether or not these two can strike up a friendship, Neymar and Messi, we know from Xavi, for example, who came back from the World Club uh, Cup final in Japan in 2011, uh, really enchanted with this, this guy's behaviour and attitude and um, demeanour. Now, if you can keep all that up, win people over, train well, develop physically probably a little bit and help the team to begin to win trophies, then fine. My cynicism is that when you develop a system of play which is successful, and then you say the coach is leaving, we'll send another coach who guarantees the continuation of that system. When you have particular players who are trained to function well within a system, and then you buy an anti-system player, then number one, if you ask him to adapt, which you need to if the system dominates, then why are you buying him? Mm. If you're asking him to stop doing so many of the things that he did that made him catch your eye, why are you buying him? If you successfully adapt him to the system, and say the system dominates, do you get the same player as you saw? Don't know. If the system says we need width, if the system says we need pressing, which it did, does he add either of those? Ostensibly, he can play down either wing, that's for sure. But does he widen the pitch? Does he hug the touchline, as Guardiola asked his white players to do, mm. and Rijkaard before him? How important is Jordi Alba, then, in this role? I don't know if he is or not. I don't know if he is or not. He's an agile footballer and a clever footballer who could fit with Neymar. I'm sure they'll play one-twos for fun. Mm. But when you look at the two wing-backs Barcelona have at the moment, they mirror the problem that I think that they're gonna, Barcelona are going to have with Neymar and Messi. Two fantastic players who do the same thing and do different sides of the pitch in terms of those wing-backs. But how does that leave the defending? 
they need, you know, Messi remains an absolute genius and a match winner and important, but the pressing has diminished. Does Neymar add pressing? No, mm. he has more of what Messi does. Yeah. Does Neymar drift naturally into the territory down the middle of the pitch where Messi likes to um, erupt into action, beating two or three players and making or scoring? Yes, he does go into that area. Does that lead to confusion? Yes. When, when Alba, if Alba plays behind Neymar, and I think it's, I think, for different effects, it's it's perfectly feasible that Neymar could play on either touchline. Um, it's perfectly feasible that Barcelona could go to a four-four-two and have Messi and Neymar up front together. That is feasible. Yeah. And I am not somebody who says you never touch the system, leave it alone. That's sacrosanct. That isn't true. All I like in any club is joined up thinking, where if you have a, a policy which you say is important then you support it rather than cutting across it. And I don't see the consistency in this thinking at the moment. Having said all that, I'll finalise by saying I, I'm not, you know, I love football. I, I'm not a Barcelona member or, or diehard supporter. Um, I, I look forward to watching Neymar. I'm glad he's in Spain. I'm glad he's in La Liga. It will certainly help for attention. It will earn me money as a freelance. My argument is objectively, and even though it's arguing against my own interests, because I live in that city, it'll be healthy for me if he attracts attention and if he plays well and wins trophies with Messi and it is genuinely spectacular era, then whoop-de-doo. I think honesty requires that if your analysis says this looks a bit fishy, then you, you know you point out where the halibut is. Sticking with Barcelona, um, to put it bluntly, why did they not offer Abdel uh, an extension on the contract and decide to release him? To put it bluntly, I think that there are probably two halves to that equation. I think they didn't believe that at his age, given his health record, he was going to be a thirty-game-a-season man. Mm-hmm. Now I can't, uh, I can't criticise them on on that or call them liars. No. Because I don't have access to their medical data. I don't see him in the gym. I don't know what the doctors are advising Barcelona is likely for Abidal. And this is a decision that needs to be made without sentiment. Yeah. I think overall, up until now, Barcelona have been exceptional with Abidal. I think overall, up until now, Abidal has been exceptional as a footballer for Barcelona and is intensely loved as a, as a teammate. And, and I've, I've, I've dealt with him. I like him. I admire him. It's been moving to watch what he's achieved. And you'd like to be able to say, well, he made it this far back. Mm-hmm. He deserves a pay-as-you-play deal or a year extension. Give it to him. But Barcelona is not a charity. Um, it, it's not a recuperation home. I think that if they are right in their interpretation about what they can expect from him as a, an athlete or a footballer over the next two years, then they're within their rights to say to him, I'm sorry, we're not renewing your contract. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's emotional and sad, the fact that he was crying, the fact that some of the other squad were crying, the fact that everybody in the squad turned up at the press conference to wish him goodbye, which is intensely rare. All these things are important and moving, but they do not say it was automatically needed that they gave him a new contract. Where the club has let itself down, and badly, is that they said, 
that all he had to do was make it back and play one game and they would automatically renew him. Right. That, that was six months ago. And they've gone back on that word. Mm. So I think they've embarrassed themselves and let themselves down to that extent. But so long as they're being honest about the assessment they've made of him as a player and an athlete, then they're within their rights. They've offered him a job. He says, sooner or later, I will return. The president and the sports director say, we've parted on good terms. I'm not so sure. I think Abidal will be resentful about how he's been treated and hurt. But he does genuinely love Barcelona as a football club. Mm-hmm. And I mean that. Um, and therefore, in due course, I think he will return. In the meantime, I think he will successfully play two years as a top-level pro again. Mm-hmm. And from my point of view, for his sake, may that be that every weekend when they watch him playing for somebody else, they sit there in the camp now and think, oh dear, we screwed that one up. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a, it'll be great to see him um, playing again with someone and... Uh, I really can't wait to see that, uh, whether it is with Monaco or someone else, really. Um, um, very quickly, um, just because a few of our listeners will uh, have heard about um, about Igo Aspas um, and the deal that went to, uh, that was agreed with Liverpool this week, uh, maybe some Liverpool fans, well, uh, and quite a lot of fans of the Premier League in England, would you be able to tell them what he can bring to Liverpool and what he... He can bring to the Premier League. I think one of the things that's interesting is that Liverpool are becoming um, quicker, more technically gifted and less predictable up front. Mm -hmm. If you look at Coutinho, if you look at Raheem Sterling's development and now you throw in Iago Aspas, you've got another striker in the Spaniard who has excellent technique, um, is not tall but is strong, He'll be able to adapt physically to the Premier League. He's got the ability to go past people. He's got the ability to conjure up passes that others can't see. He is a decent striker of the ball and I think um, will, once he adapts, be somebody who you could look to for 15, 16 goals per season. Maybe not instantly, Mm. but um, in his time. Uh, there's no doubt that his development in terms of his football maturity and probably his personal maturity, there's room for growth. Um, but he's technically very gifted. He's relatively quick. And I think that if you look at the overall picture of what Liverpool have got up front now, um, striking Suarez in our hypothesis from that that front, um, that armoury, if they could add a goal scorer, then they've got pace and ingenuity and technique which will make them a much more difficult side to play against and Aspas fits naturally into the way that Brendan Rodgers has been both buying and developing. Do you think he can fit into a, a Champions League well, a, well, they are wanting to push on into the Champions League. Do, do you think he's that good? Where, Look, I, th- I, think, I think the first thing you, know, you have to say in all honesty is that you, you don't talk about the Champions League. I think Liverpool didn't look like a Champions League qualifying side this season. No. But in the second half of the season, my view, correctly or incorrectly, is that they were playing more confident football, quicker football, to a pattern that that looks like what I know Brendan Rodgers wants to achieve. I know that that he would like to add um, steel and power and height to the centre of their midfield. Mm. Um, 
And therefore, if Aspas begins to find his feet, learn the language, and if he adapts to the climate, he's not one of those Spaniards who will autom- who I would automatically say, this is a guy who will succeed, don't worry about it at all. Mm-hmm. I think there are questions about his adaptation, but Liverpool is a club where they are capable of helping that, and if Brendan Rodgers makes the other signings that he thinks he needs, adds a goal scorer, deals with the Pepperina situation, which I think you know, is worth looking at. I think Pepe Reina thought he was in the point of returning to Barcelona and following Victor Valdez's press conference today, it does look a little bit as if Valdez now expects to stay for one more season and then leave for free. So I think there are some, there's some housework to do for Brendan Rodgers. Mm-hmm. But is Aspas a player who could begin to win games that were drawn and add to Liverpool's points total and take them closer to Champions League qualification? Yeah, he's at least that. Wow, I'm sure Liverpool fans will be uh, rejoicing after hearing you say that. Uh, um, finally, Graham, um, as an Arsenal fan, I have to ask you this: how how thin is David Villa's patience? Because it seems obvious to me that Arsenal have other striking targets on their list, and Villa's probably dropped down that list slightly. So, how long will Villa hold on for an offer to come in from Arsenal? Well, no, I think there's a, I think there's an offer to him. It, you know, there, it's been it's been clear between via his representatives and Barcelona. This, this is his last season. Something I'm very sad about. Mm-hmm. He's another one I think has been treated incorrectly this season. Right. In foot in football terms, one of the offers is from Tottenham Hotspur. His people did go to Tottenham's training ground and did meet AVB and spoke with him at great length and were impressed with him. Mm-hmm. And it's to Arsenal's very great benefit that Spurs didn't make that Champions League slot for the obvious reason, but also for the reason that that has left David Villa unclear about whether he wants to risk joining the Spurs project but waiting a year to try and qualify for the Champions League again. Mm-hmm. And therefore, um, it's the case that I think Spurs are willing to pay him slightly more, Arsenal slightly less. But... Uh, there is the sticking point of Barcelona wanting 14 million euros. I think I would point out as well that even though Daniel Levy has a, a history of doing deals in the last day and being a very stickler, very much a stickler in terms of his negotiation, Arsene Wenger is notoriously slow um, on making deals. He, he, he paces around his office, he thinks about them over and over again, he'll consult people. It's not a particularly quick business with Arsene Wenger, and I say that in a non-pejorative sense. I don't agree with quite a few of his recent signings, but I do patently admire some of them, and I think that taking your time is is an asset. I think that David Villa, David Villa has, has come on to the list for Liverpool as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he is one of those that Atletico Madrid would like to think about in terms of replacing Falcao. But in David Villa's mind, an experiment for the last two, three years of his top-level career in England is very much something that he wants. I remember a long, careful, interesting interview he gave when he was still at Valencia to a friend of mine and asked about his favourite football outside Spain. He said Arsenal. Now, that's you know a considerable number of years ago. The playing style attracts him. Um, he played well and scored there in the Champions League and understood what a good night at the Emirates can be like so right now 
um, because there is not a single club coming in and dominating the table and saying, I want him, he's ours, and there's the wages he wants, deal done. Arsenal do have a little bit of wriggle room. I don't think they're in a disaster moment right now. However, the one thing I would say is that Spurs, the squad, the playing style, and AVB impressed VS people sufficiently that there is a threat of losing him to Spurs. But at the moment, you've got the Champions League card to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was absolutely vital this year. I thought it was vital this year more than other years for attracting like those sort of players like David Villa. Listen, David Villa on form, you know, is vital to attract if he's available at any, any stage. His form, and I mean his form, dipped in the second part of the season. And what, what I find indefensible was that when he was fit and motivated and in form at the beginning of the season, they didn't give him enough game time. Mm-hmm. And um, a striker's touch, a striker's confidence can go, and he's a very intense man. You know, psychologically, he beats himself up a lot if he's not scoring goals. Um, and he's somebody who cares very much about winning with Spain and being Spain's number one, and he he, he knows that has been in jeopardy too. So, if if David Villa has a decent Confederations Cup and, and stays fit and sharp and motivated and has a good pre-season, then that word you used, vital, um, will, will be correct. If, if a player like that is available, um, at a reasonably economical price, which I think 14 million euros is, then it would be vital to make sure that you get him and get him in time for the pre-season and um, let him acclimatise. And, and these are things that, you know, in, in Arsene you trust. <laughs> in Arsene in sometimes I trust. <laughs> we really appreciate the time you could give us and it's, it's been an absolute pleasure mm. speaking to you. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, congratulations on becoming an award-winning author. <laughs> and, uh, uh, thank you, Look, uh, I wrote a book called Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World, and the British Sport Book Awards made it Football Book of the Year, um, I suppose for 2012 or 13, I, I didn't pay enough, 2013 it must be, I didn't pay enough attention, there you go. Um, so thank you very much, it was kind of you to mention it. <laughs> no problem, always, uh, always get a plug in when you're an award-winning author. Thank you for joining us on the Sofa Football Podcast. Please stay tuned for our next instalment. Remember you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and on our website, sofafootball.com. Have a great week.